you looking for postpartum support in 2021? Are you ready to feel loved up, nourished and treated like an absolute queen after your baby is born? Then I might be the postpartum doula for you. Visit my website www.postpartumwithsteph.com, download my offerings and if you like what you see, email me at postpartumwithsteph at gmail.com. I have a range of in-home support packages along with online support and mini packages too. I would love to hear from you if you are ready to rock life after birth. This episode of Postpartum Stories with Steph was recorded on the stolen land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Postpartum Stories with Steph, candid conversations with mums and sometimes dads about the precious yet chaotic time that is life after birth. My name is Steph, woman, warrior, wife, mother, coffee lover and feminist. I'm a postpartum doula in Melbourne and you can find me on Instagram at postpartum underscore with underscore Steph with a PH. Through this podcast, I will chat to women and birthing people in a real and raw way about their postpartum experience. So sit back, grab a cuppa, even if it's cold, take off your bra and enjoy. very excited about today's episode and my lovely guest. I am joined today by Amberly Harris. Um, I'm sure many of you know of her. Amberly is a breastfeeding consultant. Um, she's uh, an endorsed midwife and she does amazing work in helping women um, along their breastfeeding journeys. I've actually had her on the podcast before. Um, If you haven't listened to it, it's episode 10, where she talks all about breastfeeding, um, all of the tips and tricks and tits, lol. Um, (laughs) But this episode is um, purely about her own postpartum journey with her two kids. And I really, I've been wanting to get her back on the show for months and months and months now. Um, to talk about her own experience, especially her breastfeeding experience, because I was really interested to know how that went for her, whether or not she was doing this work um, in the breastfeeding space when she had her children. And so, yeah, she really um, shares openly and honestly. And, you know, she has a really beautiful um, postpartum story too, She's got two kiddos, um, Lawson and Avery. And yeah, she talks a lot about what that um, early postpartum time was like for her, her breastfeeding experience and how that shaped the work that she does now. So I really hope that you enjoy it and I will leave all of Amberly's details in the show notes. Um, But you can find her on Instagram. She's at Maternal Instincts by Amberly. Um, and yeah, connect with her there if you're um, if you're interested in getting her on board for your own breastfeeding journey. Um, 
As always, if you enjoy this episode, please leave a five-star review and write some nice words. I would really appreciate it. And I hope that you have a lovely day. So today I am joined by the lovely Amberly Harris. And she has been on the podcast before. For those of you who know her, she is a breastfeeding consultant. Um, actually, Amberly, you tell me what you are because you know all of the, the yep. things. <laughs> um, so she's been on the podcast before talking all things breastfeeding, but today she's going to be chatting about her own postpartum experience with her two little ones. So Amberly, if you can tell me a little bit about who you are and who's in your life. Of course. Thank you for having me, Steph. So I am a registered and endorsed midwife in private practice, and I specialize in breastfeeding support, mainly in the first six weeks. Um, But I do work with mothers beyond that. Um, And I'm married to my hubby, Josh, and I have an eight-year-old boy named Lawson and a six-year-old little girl named Avery. You guys have been married for a really long time, right? Or you've been together for a really long time. I remember seeing a post for a long time. Yeah. So we've been married for 11 years. We just had our wedding anniversary, actually. Um, Wedding anniversary? We've been together for like, oh God, I don't even remember. Maybe 18. (laughs) I'm going with. (laughs) He won't listen to this. (laughs) Um, So I'm really interested to know um, what postpartum was like for you, I guess, first off with Lawson um so maybe we'll start there and then we can see how it may or may not have compared to your experience with Avery Mm, perfect so postpartum for me with Lawson was probably not exactly as I'd expected because I hoped to birth him vaginally and then I ended up having an emergency cesarean Mm -hmm. um so the sort of first few days for me um were you know, still really positive. I had a very positive cesarean experience. It just wasn't what I'd planned. So I think I was processing the birth that I really wanted and I may be mourning that. Mm. Um, But I also was so motivated to breastfeed because I just felt in my mind, well, if I wasn't able to have that birth experience, then what I can do is do as much as I can to increase my chances of being able to breastfeed this baby. So, um, and definitely the best part about when it's your first baby, I think, and you have a cesarean is that you don't have to run after a toddler or anything like that. You Mm. can just stay in bed with them. And and my hospital stay really consisted of that. I just rest, I was really resting a lot. And I literally just, I had him skin to skin all the time. And I remember this midwife coming in and um, I didn't know her very well, but she knew I was a midwife and I remember her saying to me you can dress your baby you don't need to have him skin to skin all the time (laughs) and I just was like thanks but like no no thanks I got this okay (laughs) I know what I'm doing (laughs) (laughs) I'm keeping him warm and um this is how he's gonna learn home and I just that's really what we did and look it clearly had a great impact on my milk supply because it came in within 48 hours which is pretty um efficient for yeah first time mum who had a cesarean um and so yeah we we got our breastfeeding established and the first few weeks for us um well, great. I had no nipple damage. Um, and I just was like, Oh, this is going really well. I'm really figuring out my baby and my milk came in and, um, we were, we were great. My challenge with breastfeeding happened when, um, 
I was at home um, and I started to get really bad nipple damage. And I was like two plus weeks into breastfeeding, which I totally didn't expect. And, you know, I don't even see that with clients now. It's quite uncommon to have nothing at the start and then develop nipple damage like two weeks in. Mm. So I was a little bit lost. Like, why am I getting this nipple damage? It started to get really painful. I went from having like cracks um, or like grazes to cracks and then I had a fissure open up on one side mm. um, and it was absolutely excruciating and mm. um, this one particular night I never forget it it was like autumn I had my little boy in autumn so it was really dark sort of winter night and um, I he was sleeping in our room um, I like bed share with my babies and then but that I was getting up and going and feeding him in his room because I could put the night light on and I was trying not to disturb my hubby and so I got up and I sat up and fed him and just the pain was so bad I just I literally cried and I remember you know, you've probably seen it yourself. You um, you see mothers when they've got nipple damage, they sort of try to commit, but then they sort of arch their back and just like don't yeah. commit to the attachment. And so I just whimped, whimpered my way through. I just cried through the whole feed. And I remember just thinking, I don't know what to do next. Like I'm so lost. This is so painful. And I didn't want to introduce bottles. I didn't want to do any expressing, but I had no idea how I was going to help that heal. Mm. Um so the next morning I contacted a lactation consultant who was actually work with my sister um, and she came to the house and she was just amazing. And she taught me something called baby led attachment, which is literally now what I really do with a lot of my clients, not mm. all of them, because it doesn't work for everyone at the start. But if it, you can have your baby learn that way, it is really the gold standard for breastfeeding initiation. So, um, but yeah, some babies, it doesn't work and you need to take a bit more time to teach them. But look, baby led attachment, without a doubt, saved our breastfeeding journey because um, I learned how to get him on. He basically, as my lactation consultant described, I was letting him sort of suck in my nipple like a straw. Mm. Um, he just wasn't opening his mouth wide enough. And I just obviously, because we'd started off with him opening wide, I sort of just, I guess, dropped the ball with that part and just didn't quite, yeah, get it, get it right. And so we'd had some feeds where he did damage and it just, yeah, compounded it. Mm. Um, so yeah, that kind of really turned the corner for us at that point. Um, I do me to keep talking about that, the breastfeeding experience or? Well, I was just going to ask, um, so obviously you were a midwife when you had your first baby. Um, were you doing that more sort of specific breastfeeding um, education for women at that point? No. No, I wasn't. Um, I was still working in the hospital setting. I worked for many years at the start of my career at a major tertiary hospital in Melbourne. Mm. Um, so I was very passionate about breastfeeding and I knew I actually cared deeply about that, that part of the mothering continuum. And my heart was there, but I was still working in the whole, um, yeah, the whole area of midwifery. Mm -hmm. um, but I had gone through, I'd supported my sister have her first baby Oh, and no, just her first baby by then. And so I had sort of seen the value of good professional midwifery support through supporting her. So I'd sort of started to get my head around, oh, maybe private practice would be amazing, but I just wasn't there yet. Yeah. And so after you had seen that lactation consultant, did things kind of um, start to pick up a little more from there in terms of the breastfeeding? 
Yeah, they did. Um, initially, I still had a lot of trouble getting my nipples to heal. Um, and that was when I learned about the value, like the products on the market um, mm. at the time. And I've, I remember getting, I won't recommend, I won't say, I won't um, name and shame, but um, there was a product that I was recommended that um, didn't do my nipples any favours. It actually really damaged my nipples even further. Mm. Um, and then there was another product that had calendula in it which was really good for me I felt like the calendula was really healing but it also had um, rose hip oil in it um, and it smelled so strong and I remember trying to feed my baby and then he would I could tell he was put off by the smell yeah um, and so I just was on this hunt to find some herbs but not essential oils and that was really where I got the idea for my nipple butter um, mm -hmm. that I've ended up now that I have available in my online shop for clients because I just learned I wanted aloe vera like I worked out all the things that helped my nipples heal and my sister is a naturopath and so she um, has all obviously amazing herbal medicine knowledge so we sort of got these ideas and realized that there was this huge gap in the market for good products that didn't do um, you know, didn't do anything negative for nipple healing, but only brought the positive. So um, that's probably why I think my nipples didn't heal for as long because I was really experimenting with different products. But eventually, and obviously I was hoping to avoid the really strong um, things if I could. Mm. Uh, and then eventually, yeah, we um, it took us probably two weeks where I kept dealing with a lot of pain. Um, and then we just kind of hit our we reached our mojo we just like suddenly everything started to fall into place and everything started to heal and yeah I just was like elated because I was like oh my gosh I can see through this I'm actually going to be able to do this and mm. this is all fall into place so it was a really amazing experience and those first few weeks or even those first few days can be really make or break for some women in terms of breastfeeding like depending mm. on the support they have and the information they have and it's like if you just get through, like if you just get through those, like, you know, really hard moments. And that's not to say like you should persist if, you know, you're not feeling it or it's, you know, affecting your mental health, but mm -hmm. um, it's amazing how quickly it can change to be okay. <laughs> yes. It's so true. And I think you just have to keep asking yourself. That was something that I tried to do as I just kept checking in with myself. Am I wanting to keep doing this? Like, is this is the motivation to make this work bigger than the impact it's having on my mental health? Mm -hmm. um, and I knew for me, if I wasn't able to breastfeed, that would have absolutely devastated me. So yeah. that was kind of like my source of motivation going, I just so much want this to work for me and my baby. So I'm okay. I'm having a lot really hard time uh, and I'm going to call on good supports and, you know, um, you know, my social network as well and all of that. But, um, but yeah, I definitely, I completely agree with you. The first six weeks are really challenging and you just got to hold on and um, yeah, you know, know that statistically, if you make it to the first six weeks, everything will fall into place. It's mm. much more likely to. And so how did other things go in that sort of early postpartum for you in terms of like, you know, the support that was around you, like, were you feeling supported or, you know, did you find it, was it, you know, a beautiful time? Was it a challenging time? Like, how did you sort of go? Yeah, it was a beautiful time. I just was so in love with my son. I just remember meeting him 
and I just yeah my heart instantly opened and I just I felt I had that fell madly in love with him experience which I actually Mm. didn't have with my daughter Mm. Um, but I did with my son so with him I was so thrilled to be his mum and so much love for my husband sharing the experience with him Um, so as much as breastfeeding was hard I just enjoyed it like I just found it so thrilling to yeah experience the whole thing I I loved it yeah Mm -hmm. and did you do much planning for postpartum or did you sort of just (laughs) just wing it (laughs) I definitely just winged it yeah Um, no I look it's just you learn so much more over time don't you And Mm -hmm. and I know without a doubt if I was to do it now I would do it very differently you know the the things that I planned was like I had an amazing blessing way. And so I learned a lot from the girls before that. So I, you know, the mothers of my girlfriends that have had babies before. So we, um, you know, I've made a lot of meals for the freezer. And then I had a lot of my girlfriends that were brought meals on a rotation. So mm. I had things like that covered, which was great. Yeah. But um, what I think I didn't try and do was carve out more time to rest and recover um, and just protect my energy. I, and it's, I don't know if it was society making me feel really motivated to just get back out in the world, but I don't even think it was just society. I think it was pressure I put on myself. Mm. Just be like, oh no, but I'm fine. I'm going to get up and I'm going to put jeans on. And like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was yep. like, a, funnily enough, putting jeans on is like a big deal. So, you know, mm. I, yeah, I'd met girls in my mother's group. And so we were all like motivated to get out and you know represent and like meet at cafes and like in hindsight I'm like why did I care about any of that I didn't Mm. need to do any of that when I had like a two-week-old baby I should have just been at home in my pajamas yeah Um, yeah resting like so I think I don't know if it's yeah that society or or now there's some really positive conversations going on about recognizing the first 40 days and um I think yeah there's been a shift in society for the for the good for the better and I Mm. hope that mothers having babies these days um are hearing that and and able to embrace that for themselves yeah and I think I was talking to someone about this the other day like when you see you know celebrities you know on Instagram and they're out with their babies really early on And so you kind of feel like, oh, I should be able to do that too. And you don't realize that like they have a lot of help. (laughs) Okay. They have a lot of money and a lot of help. And there's probably, you know, nannies and chefs and, you know, all sorts of people there behind the scenes. And Mm -hmm. we don't really have that. (laughs) (laughs) And I think you sort of, for some reason, I would hear like, you know, my auntie would say, oh, you know, you, you look great. Like you really look at you, you know, it's like you haven't even had a baby and, for some reason, I really appreciated that compliment. That was important to me. Mm. Um, and definitely in hindsight, I'm like, that. I know she meant well. It was nothing about her or anything like that. But it was just a strange, yeah, it was a, on reflection. I think it was a strange time. And that, that that was the measurement of your success in your postnatal period is if you looked put together and, uh, and you were out and about. And mm. that for me now is not a measure of your success in postnatal. It's actually slowing down completely and being really bathed in that newborn bubble and just yeah taking the important days and weeks to um yeah just prioritize you and your baby and and your family Mm. and what was that um that shift into motherhood like for you like that transition from going from being you know someone who probably worked a lot and um a professional person 
to you know singing nursery rhymes and you know wiping bums um yeah again with my first baby like with my son it was just positive I loved it Mm -hmm. I loved taking time off work I mean I loved my work but I you know had in my my mind that I would probably take 12 months off um and I just yeah I just loved being his mum and just doing all of that um I probably decided to go back and just do some agency shifts um so he was about 10 months old and I remember saying to my hubby maybe I could do like one shift on a weekend agency work the beauty of uh, midwifery is that it's actually very flexible with families Mm -hmm. so um and it's just really good money on the weekend so I thought I'll do that um and look that probably the only reason I decided to do it as well is because obviously my breastfeeding relationship was very important um and my son never took a bottle neither of my babies did in the end Mm -hmm. look not that I tried very hard I really didn't I actually probably deep down I really loved that they didn't take a bottle yeah (laughs) still need me And so what I did was I would only accept a shift that was a hospital close to home and my hubby would bring um, my son to me so I could feed him on my lunch break. Oh, that's amazing. Um, It was amazing. (laughs) So it just broke up the day. I would just literally message my hubby like I could be anywhere around here. But I knew because I had done agency shifts, I sort of knew the staff and the hospitals I loved working at. And so I would just message my hubby and say, I've got, you know, this break, so it's going to be this time and I'll meet you, you know, at this spot. Yeah. Um, And usually just go outside and find a park bench and so it was a beautiful shift like a break in the shift for me mm-hmm. um, and yeah it meant that it, my breastfeeding wasn't affected but it was just a good creative outlet to go and work so that's kind of how I yeah I did things um, I think definitely jumping from one to two was way harder for me that mm-hmm. was like a really big transition that uh, it was no, nowhere near as easy. Mm. So when, how old was Lawson when you had Avery? He was two. They were, their birthdays are like a couple of days apart. So yeah, they were, um, yeah, they were, he was, he was two. Mm. Yeah. And so I guess, how did that, um, the experience with Avery kind of compare to with Lawson? Cause you mentioned that, um, you didn't immediately have that kind of love yeah. bubble experience, but you did you you ended up having a v-back didn't you I did yeah I did. so let's yeah. um talk about that and you know how that kind of impacted things going forward yeah so yeah I had a v-back with Avery which was so amazing and incredible experience and um yeah so so proud of um yeah my body and just to be able to feel what it felt like to push out your baby Mm. Um, just something that I always knew I really wanted to experience um and so it was extraordinary um and so I think birthing her interestingly like I always wanted a girl I was new I was one of those people that if I had like three boys I knew I would like try for a fourth because I would (laughs) want to try for a girl and you'll have twin boys (laughs) (laughs) yeah but that was me I mean you know I know a lot of a lot of other people like it wasn't that important to me I just wanted children but I always really hoped to have a girl so when I had this little girl that I you know so much wanted my whole life um I was obviously I was in love with her but my heart did not open up when I first met her and I actually think maybe it was a bit to do with my VBAC because as positive as the experience was, it was so intense. Like it was yeah. an intensity like no other. And I remember being a little bit in shock, like when I first met her. Um, yeah, I just, 
the feeling, the the strength of the contractions and and yeah, it's not that I um, you know, dislike the labor, like I loved my whole labor and the whole experience, but um, what happened was I think, I, I annoyingly, I did have a lot of bleeding through the labor. And so um, right at the very end, I had a lot of doctors come in. Um, and yeah. so there was a shift in the whole vibe in the room. Mm. Um, and so over the space of the day, I felt pretty um, just depleted. I think from the blood loss and everything, I ended up getting up after the birth and I did faint annoyingly. Um, but I'm a fainter. I've done that many times. Um, and so I remember like my mum and my sister were with me and I fed her over the day, but like my mum held her for a lot of the day. And she kept saying to me, do you want to hold her? Cause they kept me in birth suite. Cause I kept bleeding. And I was like, no, 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 I'm okay. Like you hold her for some mm. reason. I just wasn't ready to, um, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I just wasn't ready. And then, um, I was supposed to go home that day, um, but because of the bleeding and I felt it was like eight o'clock at night and I just was like, I don't want to really go home at eight o'clock at night. So um, we made the decision that I would sleep at the hospital. I got a postnatal room and I would go home the next morning. Um, and I remember I was, I woke up at like midnight to feed her. She was in bed with me and she was wiggling and I went to feed her and I guess it was just no one was around and I put her skin to skin and just like suddenly I saw her for the first mm. time, like my eyes just filled with tears and I was just like, hi. Like yeah. it was like that moment with her that I didn't get after the birth because of like all the, I guess, you know, the way the birth happened. Um, so that was a really amazing thing that I was, yeah, I really met her. <laughs> that mm. was um I can see, I can see getting a bit emotional about it now. And I totally resonate with you because I was exactly the same when Sunny was born. Like Mm. I didn't get that Mm. love bubble. And I think it is because when there's so many other things going on and like other voices and people and lights and everything, it just really blocks that energy. And I was exactly the same. Like, I think it was probably about six or it was probably about six or seven days postpartum. And Mm. I was lying in bed with him just next to me. And I just looked at him and I was like, exactly the same as you like hi (laughs) and it's like something shifted then and which was amazing but yeah like I could I'm getting chills like I can totally resonate with that feeling yeah yeah and I think it's so good to talk about that isn't it as mothers because I definitely I remember over the space of the day I felt quite guilty that I just wasn't ready for her yet Mm. like I love knowing I would obviously never have just left her in the cot or something but Mm. my mum just cuddled her for the whole day and I just like obviously fed her when she needed but then I would give her back to mum and I remember I think my mum even was a little bit like oh you wanted this little girl like why aren't you holding her um and but I just that's just how it felt for me um and yeah, I just think when we can share that, you don't beat yourself up over it. Like no, it's-, it's super common. And like, it's hard when people around you, especially are saying like, oh, don't you just love her? And don't you just love him? And isn't he beautiful? And you're just sort of like still processing all of the stuff that's happened. And um, yeah, it's almost like a coping mechanism just to sort of shut it all out for a minute. So you yeah. can just get yeah. through it. Yeah. Mm. It's not ready yet yeah yeah yeah, your moment comes so yeah so true Mm. so how did you go um with breastfeeding with Avery 
Yeah, great. We did really well. I was still feeding Lawson. So um, I did have a lot of milk um, and I got mastitis with Avery, which is the first time I'd ever had mastitis. So she was maybe a week old. So my nipples were good. I had no um, issues with nipple damage, but yeah, then I got mastitis um, and I went down quickly. <laughs> mm. I remember just thinking, oh, this will be fine. I, you know, by then I was working um, in breastfeeding support. So I had a good understanding of it. And I was like, I can cure this myself. Um, and so I, you know, did as much as I could to try and get it to clear. And I remember like 24 hours passed and and yeah, no, I was really struggling. And I would get Lawson to try and feed because he could clear a lot more than Avery could. Mm -hmm. um, and so he was doing a great job because he's a toddler. So he was like, if I offered him extra feeds, he was like, of course, yes. <laughs> I, I'm here to help. <laughs> so um, yeah, I tried my best, but uh, reluctantly, I think I was I was several days down the track and I got sicker and sicker. Mm -hmm. And I still, I have the photos on my phone still. I remember it started like you could see like a quarter of my boob was red. Mm -hmm. And then like the next morning it was like half my boob was red. And then it was like three quarters. And then I was just like, oh my gosh. I am unfortunately going to have to take antibiotics. So, mm. um, and look, I did. And as much as I'm not super pro antibiotics, um, it, I, you know, there's, there is a time there's for a, antibiotics. There's a place. <laughs> I, in that moment was so grateful to, to be able to take it. Obviously I still really recommend mothers um, try and clear the blockage and get support and, and all of that. And that window was there for me, but unfortunately it just, um, it wasn't enough so mm. yeah so apart from antibiotics um apart from mastitis I mean um yeah we Avery and I didn't have any other issues so yeah we did really well and so you mentioned the tandem feeding I'm interested to know how that kind of went for you um like yeah how did that work <laughs> yeah so um uh, look, the main thing that was hard was just obviously continuing breastfeeding through a pregnancy. Yeah. Um, I knew the theory behind it that the, you know, nipple sensitivity is really hard to deal with. And there's huge amounts of um, obviously hormones. You get a big surge in hormones when you have a letdown reflex and that can make your pregnancy nausea way worse. So like I knew this in theory, but I probably didn't realize how hard I would find it. Mm. Um, and there were many stages in Avery's pregnancy that I was just like, oh my gosh, can I keep doing this? Um, but look, I just was really motivated to. So, and Lawson still loved feeding and, and that like I, my goal was to feed him until he was two um, and he wasn't two yet you know he was he was like whatever he was like um, 18 months or something like that and so each month it would pass I was like well I really want to get him to two and then once the baby's born it'll be up to him if he if he wants to keep feeding that'll be fine but if he wants to wean that'll be fine mm. um, so yeah it was it was definitely hard in the in pregnancy um, but then yeah like my my supply came in and I mean I had an amazing amount of colostrum so obviously your milk production shifts um around the sort of fifth or sixth month of pregnancy you stop making mature milk for your toddler and you start making colostrum in readiness for the baby in utero mm -hmm. so I do remember that happening because I remember Lawson was really fussy and he it was sort of happened over a week and then I hand expressed and I could see that my 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 supply had really um decreased um, mm -hmm. and I had very little volume and then suddenly I could see it had gone yellow and um, the, just the consistency changed you know you can tell from the different types so um, yeah and then Lawson was yeah still like super happy to feed through it obviously the supply would have been different but um, 
I think that's why he's got special powers right now with his immunity. Yeah. <laughs> he had like two rounds of colostrum. That's and so um, good. Yeah, like I don't know. I, I, several of my girlfriends tandem fed, but I don't meet many, like not, there's not a huge portion. We'd be, I'd love to see more, um, yeah, tandem feeding and toddlers that have had two rounds of colostrum. But mm. I always just have to ask out of interest, um, you know, what what the, the mother's experience of was their immunity. But I just find, I think those kids especially, yeah, they have like special powers. So, And there's a thing as well, right, where if if you're tandem feeding, if the toddler becomes unwell, like if the older child becomes unwell, the baby is going to get is less likely to become sick is that that's because of the yeah. what's it called yeah the antibodies are sort of like a backwash type experience yeah 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 no that definitely happens and that was like oh yeah sorry um that was a huge motivation I'm just dropping my phone um <laughs> That was a huge motivation for me to to keep feeding him. It was it was that like it was the immune protection because your toddler is typically the one that gets sick because they go out in the world and you know they're mobile, so they'll they'll pick up a lot more pathogens and bring home um, the germs. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought, well, that would be awesome if I'm still feeding because look, you still get that experience if you if you're not breastfeeding your toddler and you have your new baby, um, your breast milk will still make antibodies specific to what the the toddler brings home so it is still um, very beneficial when you're Mm. breastfeeding to protect your newborn but when you're tandem feeding it happens in a much more I guess powerful way because your toddler yeah like exactly you said like they they breastfeed their saliva comes into contact with your breast milk and then it makes those very specific antibodies so and then you know your baby receives that as well when they breastfeed so it's just this incredible way to protect both of them, but really your newborn, because your newborn's the one that you don't want to get sick, or at least you want them to have a much milder version of any illness. Mm. And I noticed that too, with some of the mums I work with who are going from one to two kids, that if the whole house ends up getting sick with something, the baby always has such a milder version of what everyone else has got, or they just don't get sick at all. So So our boobs are powerful. Hey, yeah, they just so, so cool. So how did you go with that um, that transition from one to two? I found that a lot harder, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just um, oh, what was probably the hardest part? Obviously, the feeding side of it was fine. That was all good. Um, I think it was just more that, yeah, you know, you have a toddler that needs you and that um, is to- toddlers are demanding. Um, and, and I just found it really hard to be there and meet Lawson's needs, but also um, obviously need to really be there for Avery. Um, mm. I felt the most stretched I've probably ever felt in my life, like through that sort of Avery's first year. Um, I do remember, um, yeah, I just felt overwhelmed. Motherhood just was a really hard, that was a hard year for me. Mm. Um, and yeah, I don't really know. I just think emotionally, I don't know why it was, I mean, you know, Avery, she just slept like a normal baby, um, but she woke a lot. And, and that's, that's just how, you know, what I, how I think, um, new babies are like they wake frequently I wasn't trying to solve any of that but I probably was really tired Mm. um and you know yeah because I bed share and you know I would just feed her all through the night but then Lawson was often still coming into our bed as well and so um my hubby is amazing and so he would often go and get into bed with him Mm -hmm. um 
because we couldn't all fit in the same bed that size. We haven't got a king size bed since then, but we didn't. So <laughs> I know just- you almost need to get like a king. Well, I've actually seen a lot of people do like a king and then add a single bed on for the toddler. It's yeah. amazing. Like the whole room is bed. That's very smart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that would be perfect. I think if you did that, um, because yeah, you know, that night parenting's very, was very, is still very important to me. My kids still often, or Avery pretty much every night will end up at some point in our bed. Mm. Um, and that's just how I love to mother. I know, you know, for some people, they might listen to that and think, oh, that sounds like so much work, but um, yeah, it was, it's just very important to me. And so mm. um, it's just a, it's a hard season of parenting when, yeah, you know, you've got two of them that kind of still really need you at night. Mm. Um, so probably in hindsight, maybe that was part of it. I also, I think felt more isolated than ever before in that year because um some of my girlfriends like three we had I had my mother's group with Lawson but then by the time Avery had come along there was only I think two of us that were having a second baby and a lot of the others had moved away and Mm. so my social network like my family are not close enough to hang out during the week um and a lot of my girlfriends were um not having babies you know they were working so I think I just uh I'm a very social person and if I can't go out and chat yeah (laughs) um, it affects my yeah my whole vibe so I just think a lot of those things sort of maybe played a role and and that's just why it was just a yeah it was just a a heavy kind of year yeah Um, and that's it's hard to like with the mother's group thing you know like you said people either might not have more children or they move away and then it's kind of a shame that we don't get to do mother's group again with you know when we have multiple children um because it's sort of not realistic to think that people sort of keep living in the same areas for years and years and years and yeah it would be good if um you know we could attend second time around I know mother's group's not you know for everyone but it's still nice to have that option to meet new mums exactly and it it does depend on obviously the people in your group and I, I felt so lucky that I really clicked with several of the girls um and I'm still friends with them today we still Mm. hang out and our kids go to the same school and I just felt like I just was so lucky the girls that I did meet from Lawson's group um yeah it was really really special but yeah exactly like things change and over time yeah you know, you've got to, I guess, find your other sort of people. I, I was lucky my in-laws live close and they're amazing. Um, and my father-in-law had retired. So um, I remember just like saying to my hubby, like, I just really feel like, and now I know too as well, I had no creative outlet and um, mm. and that is really important for me. And so I just literally, my father-in-law would say, just bring them over. Um, And it was only once a week, but I would just drop the kids there for the afternoon and I would just go to a cafe up in the hills and I would write. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just started my blog, which was part, which was in my business. So um, it was, you know, nothing like, wasn't really the start of a business yet, but it was just like something obviously that I really just love to do that. um, Yeah, actually was like the very kind of beginnings of when everything started happening for me with my work. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. Like, so you weren't, you obviously didn't have the business up and running at that stage when you had Avery. It's something that developed, you know, Mm. further down the track. So I'd really love to hear about, you know, how that all kind of came to fruition. 
Yeah. So I was doing things just like the blog or like I just started an Instagram page, mm-hmm. um, knowing that I wanted to eventually sort of move into the breastfeeding space. But I, um, at that point, like when I'd had, um, like Avery, I had started sort of specializing at my work that I would do more like postnatal work or, um, all the domiciliary visits. So I was really lucky that once I'd sort of said that, look, I you know don't feel like antenatal clinic and like birth suites for me. Um, so I'd still I'd started branching out but that was kind of the extent of it and then yeah I was like okay I'm gonna start yeah like an Instagram and um and just you know I didn't really know specifically kind of where I was going to take it because at that point I didn't know where my skill set fit in mm-hmm. um I'm not a lactation consultant and IBCLC um and at that point I didn't necessarily feel that I needed to do that study but I did do a lot of research on that to work out well can I actually work in this breastfeeding space in a midwifery scope of practice for the first six weeks Um, and so you know I'm lucky that I've got a huge amount of girlfriends that are IBCLCs um, so I got some great advice from them Um, and a lot of them really felt that it's an incredible course and qualification but for them um, the IBCLC qualification merely kind of formalize their um you know knowledge that they already had as a wife and it just kind of gave them a piece of paper so um based on a lot of that advice and research i did um i just thought i'm just going to make a start um and if i start this work and i recognize that i don't have what my mothers that i work with need um i'll do the qualification Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really how it started for me. I just decided I would just make a start um, and I would become an endorsed midwife. So I did a different type of training for midwifery, um, which just means that I can give Medicare rebates. Um, I can order diagnostics like pathology or ultrasound um, and I can prescribe medications. And that's very beneficial for my private practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I really just like made a start with it and I'm now four years down the track um and I haven't done the IBCLC qualification Mm. um I collaborate with an amazing um GP IBCLC but I refer to her um if I ever need to but look to be honest with a great collaboration you often you know you don't necessarily need that and I, I just really stay in my lane I just focus on the first six weeks and um, and specialize in positioning and attachment, which is what we as midwives are, yeah, are obviously trained and um, skilled to to teach. So what, how did you make the decision though f- to not go back into midwifery, like in a hospital setting? Like what was mm-hmm. that, where was that turning point for you? Um, yeah, that's such a good question. Um, probably I just reached a point that I felt that I, I felt just uh, disheartened working in the hospital setting and it just wore me down eventually. I was like, I just don't feel like I can have a positive impact on a mother's breastfeeding journey in this space. Um, I think that women need much more support when they take their baby home Mm. um, and we are sending them home often before their milk has even come in and just like wishing them luck. And I just thought this is just not how I want to work. I, it was like, I would say goodbye to them on the ward. And all I would think was, Oh, I would love to be able to come and see you and keep working with you because I know I can help you. Um, But you know, women are just on their own. So Mm. uh, that probably was part of it. I just couldn't deny the fact that I didn't feel like um, I could give my best to the mothers I was working with. And Mm. so 
yeah, I started, uh, I started my business and um, was just really lucky that my husband was supportive and he, um, we could um, go through that transition period where I, my business wasn't making money, obviously. Um, but I was making video content and just looking at other ways that I could help women if I geographically can't, you know, work with them. Um, so, and I'm in the middle of making a documentary. So I was just sort of like working on other areas, um, as a, as a growth of my business and it, you know, to have those multiple streams of income, um, was just so, sort of something that I wanted to do that I could do. Um, yeah. But through being sort of at home still with, I'm having young children. Yeah. And like you said, you know, the hospital setting in terms of the support you get to breastfeed, like the midwives are so busy and like everyone is so busy and they all mean well and they all want to help, but there's only so much they can do in that really finite period of time that you're in hospital and yeah, like where you're kind of sending women home and you're like, here's a car that you've never driven before and you don't have your license, go and drive it. And it's <laughs> yeah. like, so good. Yeah, it's amazing that, you know, you're able to give women this ongoing support and help and even in like pregnancy and prenatal as well, like preparing them for breastfeeding, mm. um, which is just not done enough in my opinion. Okay. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think the education that is done in the hospital setting is generally like you'll go to the classes and they'll explain. Um, but I just I don't feel like the emphasis in those classes is on the mother's the woman it's your body this is these are the changes that are going to happen with you these are this is how your your supply is going to change um this is what positioning and attachment looks like and um you know troubleshooting if things aren't working out um it's just very uninspiring a lot of the content that they'll share mm -hmm. um it's very outdated information and yeah breastfeeding is not daggy like but it it's I think it's left to feel like that I, I did teach the classes for quite a while in the hospital setting and I remember just saying can can I show any other videos and they were like no like you know these videos from 1980 um yeah <laughs> which is why you then created your amazing uh video series um which I've seen and it's very modern and lovely and not 1980s vibes <laughs> at all <laughs> yes um which is so good again like it's funny you've mentioned a couple of things that have sort of then set you on a specific path like with the nipple butter or the you know the products you were using that yeah. weren't working for you you go and make a nipple butter that's amazing the mm -hmm. breastfeeding education's crap you go and make the videos that are amazing like <laughs> so good <laughs> thank you <laughs> You're very kind. Yeah. Well, you know, I think you just realize that, you know, I, there's so many things I want to do in the world and I, I want to be able to, I want to make myself proud is like a big thing. Like I want to really be able to represent and do things that I love doing. Um, I want, you know, my family to look on and my, should be a really good example for my kids. Um, but I also want to do big things in the breastfeeding space. I want to have an impact on a mother's breastfeeding journey. Um, so I think when you sit back and look at, well, what, what's important to me? Like, what are my core values? What am I here for? Um, the, these, these, this all aligns with that. And so that's what, you know, motivates me. And that's, you know, what I literally think about and why I action on certain things. Mm, amazing. Thank you so much for sharing everything. Um, I've loved hearing more about your personal story and, you know, how that all went for you. And it's just been lovely to talk.
Oh, thanks, Steph. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Please come over and say hi on Instagram. That's where I like to hang out. Uh, my handle is at postpartum underscore with underscore Steph, S-T-E-P-H. That's where I'll be sharing podcast episode updates too. Hope to chat to you soon.